You're listening to an Airwave Media Podcast. Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble. With exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. Hello, everyone. God, I missed you all. You're all so attractive and happy. You looked your smiling faces all bathed in that amber, golden, glowing... So I've been off writing and recording episode 16, Hunting Witches with Walt Disney, which is out now in case you missed it. Go and grab it before shady government officials tap its phone and then snatch it while it's out buying milk and beat it to a pulp and dispose of it in an acid bath. And this is becoming more disturbing. Welcome back to you all. It's wonderful to be back in your remarkably clean and comfortable ears. Forget your Ariana Grands and your Miley Cyruses. Why the hell wasn't this song ever top of the hit parade? Fry with cake improvers. Fry with cake improvers. Spry means higher, richer, lighter, finer textured cake. Spry means easy, sure success with every cake you bake. Spry with cake improvers. Spry with cake improvers. I guarantee you that the man who wrote that song never had sex again. What time is it? It's summer money time. Yes, it's summer money time. Come to Beneficial now. It's summer money time. Right now, it's summer money time at Beneficial Finance Company. Get the cash you want for a wonderful vacation, to clean up leftover bills, or for any good reason. You'll find the service just a little faster, just a little friendlier. And you get this beneficial extra, your own international credit card. Good for cash wherever you go. Cash, just say the word, you're the boss. Thanks, I like that. Have been official. Okay. Where it's summer money time. Okay, good to cash. know. Cash. Ah. He save every one of us. Cash, just say the word, you're the boss. I'm afraid to say that. Have been official. Okay. So I've got lots Cash, of... Cash, just of, say the word, you're the boss. So I've got lots, official. I've got a fair bit of admin today because obviously I've been away for a while and this is the first regular episode for some time. First things first, since the last regular episode all those weeks ago, Ben from the JT Movie Podcast has been told that he has rather a nasty illness and he's been into hospital to have an operation and I'm glad to say has made a recovery. But here's the thing, he never missed a beat. His podcast went out week after week from his sick bed. He valiantly continued to review movies so he needs needs serious applause, as well as some flowers and some grapes and a haircut. I've got high-octane 80s high-fives for other people that have been in touch in one way or another. The email especially has been going crazy 
for the past couple of weeks. Honestly, these are the guys that have been making my days late. yourself. I also must say a great big hello and give props to the excellent crew at the Q Filmcast who seriously produce one of the finest podcasts on God's Green Earth. I just clicked with that thing straight away and it's a delicious weekly highlight for me. Five guys who take a movie apart every week in the most charming and energetic way. If you want to hear it done right, get your ears over to the Q Filmcast. I can't believe I haven't talked about it before. It's hosted by Michael the Maestro Meyer, who's one of the funniest, most lovable guys you could listen to. And he's backed up by a team that includes Max, Adam, Matt, and James Hard Sub Savage, a man with impeccable taste in films, and all the right words to tell you about them. I can't say enough good things, and once you've listened, you'll be addicted too. I promise I'll finish with the acknowledgement soon, but I would just finally like to say a very big thank you to my wife, Hannah, who has spent the last five weeks keeping my children quiet so that I could work on episode 16. It was a big job, but I couldn't have done it without her help and support. So, Hannah, thank you. Sexist advertisement Ooh, in a while. And now, it's romance. A young man, a young girl, her face upturned to his... You're so lovely, Jim. Your skin, it's like satin. How about a kiss, Doc? A scene from a movie? Oh, no, it happens every day in real life. Romantic moments when admiring eyes come close. Important moments for any woman, wouldn't you say, Libby? Yes, indeed, Mr. Kennedy. Those are the moments when a woman is glad her skin is soft and lovely. Because lovely skin certainly has irresistible appeal. It's too bad so many women forget that sometimes and grow careless. And that puts a damper on romance, Libby. Yes, I'm afraid it does. And you can't blame a man for not making pretty speeches if a girl lets her skin get dull and unattractive. Now, isn't that a situation where Lux toilet soap can help? Indeed it can, Mr. Kennedy. If a girl will give her skin regular Hollywood care for 30 days, why, she's mighty apt to hear compliments coming her way. It's worth a lot to a woman to hear remarks like this. God, she's a honey. What a complexion. 
So I've been asked repeatedly since I put it out there to provide a list of the films I talked about in episode 11, Sex and Monochrome. So just to let you know, I've put a full list on the Facebook page. So if you want to go Googling and searching and watching, you filthy beggars, then you can now do so. Talking of the Facebook page, it broke a thousand likes this week. That is just craziness. The podcast's only been going for five months, so to get to a thousand likes so quickly is testament to the fact that there is a thriving classic movie and old-time radio community out there. So come on in here, sit in the comfortable chair, let me pour you some tea and help yourself to the biscuits because I feel honoured to have your ears. Thank you all so much for subscribing and liking. Love you all to bits. Hey, what's the most inappropriate show a just-right sweet sugar-coated treat could advertise on? Now, Sugar Crinkles, the sugar rice treat that's just right sweet, is proud to present Gunsmoke. I've revamped the website slightly in the past week. It's more focused towards the podcast now. It was rather article-tastic for a while. You have to kind of do some digging to find the podcast. But as you'll see now, if you go and take a look, it's a lot more geared towards the podcast. I'd be most interested to know what you think. Also, I've had a message from Mark Plemons on Facebook who says, After listening to episode 13, I found Dead of Night on a Daily Motion site and I'm looking forward to watching it. Uh, Which got me thinking, it would be great if in the podcast description on your website, you could add a parenthetical a note on how you watch each film or how it's available for the rest of us Netflix Hulu Dailymotion YouTube DVD video cassette etc that is a just right sweet idea and I'll do my best to mention that from now on which brings me on to another exciting piece of news as of right now this very moment if you go to attaboyclarence.com and look on the left hand side you'll see a new sexy link It's called Film Club. Yes, it gives me great pleasure to announce the Attaboy Clarence Film Club. I literally couldn't think of a sexier name than that. What you need to do is click on the link and then register your name and Gmail address. It must be a Gmail address. If you haven't got one, there's a link on that page that'll enable you to get yourself one within seconds. And once you've registered, you'll be able to watch the movie of the month on that very page when it goes up. It won't always be something I'm trying to impress you with, I won't lie to you, sometimes it'll be a real rotter, but it'll always be just right sweet to hear your thoughts, so once you're done, go on over to the Facebook page and sound off, damn you. July's film will be up in a few days' time, and I'm very, very excited about it. If you want a clue as to what it is, go and listen to episode two. For your breakfast or a snack, you love sugar crinkles, sugar crinkles can't be beat. Sugar ice cream that's just right sweet. With milk, what a breakfast joy. That's a snack from the pack, oh boy. Can't be beat, just right sweet. Sugar crinkles, good to eat. Now back to Gunsmoke. No words. So anyway, on to the movie reviews. Uh, first up this week, I re-watched the classic Fritz Lang noir thriller, The Woman in the Window, 
from 1944. This stars Edward G. Robinson, Joan Bennett, and Dan Durier, and tells the story of a mild-mannered professor, Richard Wanley, whose wife and children go off on vacation and leave him to fend for himself. Well, on the first evening, he goes for dinner with his friends and spots a portrait of a beautiful woman, Alice Reed, in the uh, window of an art gallery, which utterly bewitches him. To his surprise, he meets her soon afterwards, and when she invites him for drinks, he thinks, what the hell? Over the course of the evening, they develop this odd, protective, platonic relationship and he escorts her home but when they get there they're confronted by Alice's thuggish boyfriend Claude Mazard who attacks Professor Wanley. Wanley accidentally kills Mazard in the struggle and what follows is one of the most tense thrillers I've ever seen as uh, Wanley and Alice have to decide how they're going to dispose of the body and get away with this horrible crime. No feeling about him. He was trying to kill me there's no question about that. If I hadn't killed him he'd have killed me. If you hadn't given me the scissors I'd be dead. But whatever they believe, I'm ruined my whole life. You were thinking of something. What was it? Well, I was wondering if we had the nerve for something. Something pretty dangerous. It would shut the door on us completely if we were caught. Anything you say. I don't want to go to jail. I don't. Well, it's this. If nobody knows about you, if nobody saw him coming in here tonight, how could either of us be connected with it if his body were found miles and miles away from here? It's a masterclass in suspense. It's an absolutely nail-biting film where each action is painstakingly thought out. How do you get a body from an apartment building to a car without being seen? Where do you put a body so that it won't be found? And how do you make your way around the city at the dead of night without being noticed? And, and what do you do when someone rings your doorbell and tells you that they know everything? It's one of those movies that isn't high art, although it is expertly put together. It's a thrill ride. It's just pure entertainment. I'm not going to tell you anything else about the plot because the joy of the film is in the not knowing what the hell they're going to do next or how the hell they're going to get out of it. It twists like a snake and it builds and builds to a climax that I would love to talk about some have seen the ending as problematic i've seen reviews that call it a cheat but quite frankly those people are wrong sometimes it's all about the ride itself not the destination and by that i don't mean that the film has a weak ending in fact i've never been so happy with the film's ending it's a fantastic piece of entertainment and it will confound your expectations in so many ways check it out <laughs> The second film I want to tell you about is called The Irish in Us from 1935. The Irish in Us! This one stars James Cagney as Danny O'Hara! <laughs> I can't do this, I can't do this one. <sighs> I'm sorry. Uh, this one stars James Cagney as Danny O'Hara. <laughs> I'm just going to leave the O'Hara thing. Pat O'Brien as Pat O'Hara, imaginative character detail there. Uh, Frank McHugh as uh, Mike O'Hara and Mary Gordon as Ma O'Hara. O'Hara! <laughs> Obviously a good old-fashioned Scottish family there. It's about three brothers who live with their Ma O'Hara. O'Hara! you got Mike, who's a fireman, uh, Pat, who's a policeman, and Danny, who's a boxing promoter. Well, Pat falls in love with the chief's daughter, played by Olivia de Havilland, but so does Danny, which drives a wedge into the family. All along, I knew nothing would break up the family but a thing like this. To think a girl could come between two brothers. Well, I can't help it, Mother. 
I just can't live in the same place with them. When you were little, I could fight your battles and put you back on your feet when you fell down. The hard thing about this is Lucille is a good girl. If she was a bad woman, I could handle it better myself. Set against this, you've got the story of Danny, who's trying to set up a fight for his new boxer, played by Alan Jenkins, who he believes is going to make him a fortune if he can just get him a fight against the champ. It's staggering how often in films of the 1930s that some nobody from nowhere gets to fight the champ, isn't it? Anyway, it happens here too, but I won't spoil the details. Listen, Danny, you got a brother, a cop, a big flatfoot that hangs out around 44th Street? Yeah, why? The other night, my cousin gets into an apartment by mistake, see? And just because he had a clock from the mantle under his coat, your dumb cluck brother arrests him. What am I supposed to do? Write my congressman? You can tell him not to appear and press the charge, see? Oh. So you think he can be got to, huh? All them coppers can be got to. Uh -huh. And your brother's just as big a crook as the rest of them. Hey, I thought I was to do the fighting around here. Only for Joe. That was for pleasure. It's it's a cracking little comedy. Cagney's all punch and bluster, and Pat O'Brien plays the older, sensible O'Hara that no one wants to marry, and Frank McHugh plays the dimwit O'Hara. So it's all it's all business as usual. But what business? Uh, James Cagney, Pat O'Brien, and Frank McHugh were best friends in real life, and the obvious love they have for each other as the film plays out just shines. The film is pretty threadbare when it comes to plot, but to be honest, it's a joyful 84 minutes in the company of these three. They could sit in silence for 84 minutes and eat sandwiches, and you'd still want to be in their game. It's a Sunday afternoon, post-heavy lunch, rosy with wine glow kind of movie, so drink it in and enjoy it before you have your Sunday evening bath and go to bed with a smile on your face. Next up is The Black Cat. There have been numerous screen versions of The Black Cat beginning in 1934, but this is the 1941 version, and it stars Basil Rathbone, Bella Lugosi, Broderick Crawford, and Gail Sondergaard. It has absolutely nothing to do with the short story by Edgar Allan Poe. Strangely, many of the so-called adaptations that have been made have very little in common with the original story, certainly the 1934 version, which also starred Bela Lugosi alongside Boris Karloff, also had next to nothing in common with Poe's story. This version from 1941 is basically a remake of The Cat and the Canary. You have a group of family members who've gathered at a spooky old house owned by their rich aunt, and when she's murdered by one of them, it becomes this very basic basic murder mystery where each family member's secrets are gradually revealed as they try to work out who the unseen killer is amongst them. Poor dear. A black cat. Where could it have come from? Probably wandered out in the house. No. Oh, grandmother never allowed a black cat on the place. And Meta knew that whom a black cat follows dies. <laughs> You're crazy, I hope. You'll see. It's a miserable failure. It's a real shame. The first thing wrong with it is that it tries to be a horror comedy by including Hugh Bloody Herbert as an antique expert who spends the entire film inspecting the house's antiques and breaking them all and getting in the way and falling over and talking with a funny voice. I urge you to watch this film, if indeed you do end up watching it, on a cheap 
screen because my natural instinct was to constantly snatch up my iPad and smash it against the wall every time he was on screen. He is an absolute needle in your brain. Now what have you done? I was just trying to, to light that uh, lamp over there, so I guess I must have bumped into this table. And what is the meaning of all of this? As soon as I light that heater, I'll melt the solder, fix this electric plug, and start this drill to fix these wire cutters so I can cut the wire to clean the spout, to get some oil, to work the pliers, to unscrew the cap and clean the spot. Then I'll put some iodine on this finger and go back to work. Suppose you start by lighting the heater. Well, you can't do that. You can't do that. Why not? Haven't got any wick in it. <laughs> Pick up these pieces carefully and don't touch another thing in this house. Oh, you want me to put it together? Can you? Oh, yes. I got the glue right here. Get out of this house. The second problem is that the plot is beyond dull. I knew who'd done it within five minutes. Then you have the sets, which are awful and constantly reused. They literally run from one room to the next, and you can tell that all they've done is shift the table a little to the left and uh, hung the picture on a different wall. <laughs> These supposedly scary scenes consist of a hand reaching out from a curtain to grab someone and, you know, either succeeding or just missing. Come on, Universal, you've been doing much better than this, like 10 years previously. <laughs> Lastly, apart from Gail Sondergaard, who always looks as though she's got a couple of aces up her sleeve, and Bella Lugosi, who stars here as the gardener and basically just stands outside windows, staring in as the lightning flashes behind him, the performances are pretty awful. You've got Alan Ladd as one of the heirs who mumbles his way from room to room pretending to be tall. And more upsettingly, you have Basil Rathbone as Hartley, the scheming, two-timing husband of one of the characters who A, doesn't get nearly enough screen time, and B, just drifts around half asleep when he does. It's a real shame, it should have been a romp, and instead it's an absolute pile of sh Sugar crinkles. It was the anniversary of James Stewart's death last week. He died on July 2nd, 1997, so I wanted to go back and watch him in action. As you are no doubt aware, the title of this very podcast comes from my favourite movie, It's the Last Line Spoken in It's a Wonderful Life. I'm sure I don't need to tell you that, but it got me to thinking, what was his first movie? And was he any good in it? A little research later led me to 1935's The Murder Man. This stars Spencer Tracy as a newspaper reporter named Steve Gray, who's specifically a gifted crime reporter who's assigned to investigate the murder of a wealthy financier. What's he doing here? Sleeping. Staggered in here about 12 o'clock last night. Bought a whole roll of tickets and told me not to disturb him. I don't know who he is. I do. Hey, Gray, wake up. Wake up. <sighs> The whole force is looking for you. Where's the rest of them? Your boss wants you. Some big racketeer named Halford was murdered last night. Mm. So that's it, huh? All right. Thanks. Here. Take a ride for yourself. Who is he? Steve Gray. He writes all the murders for the Daily Star. The one they call a murder man? Yeah, that's him. Oh. He's assisted by Mary, played by Virginia Bruce, who's completely in love with him and works on the paper herself. As the investigation goes on, Steve begins to find himself personally involved 
in the case and ends up being called to give evidence at the trial of the man who's eventually convicted of the killing. But his testimony takes its toll and he begins to question the evidence that he's used to convict the guy. I can't tell you any more than that because the second half of the film moves into very twisted territory. In fact, you might go so far as to say that this film with its pulpy little title and 70 minute running time is against all expectations a shocking little watch. Firstly, it's directed by Tim Whelan, who was solid director. He seemed to know his beats very well when it came to shot length. His films were rarely boring. Efficient is perhaps the best way of describing his style, and I mean that in a very positive way. He also directed The Divorce of Lady X and The Thief of Baghdad in 1940. Secondly, the plot is quite simply excellent, and I wasn't expecting it to be. There's a scene near the end in which Virginia Bruce is listening to voice dictation on headphones while typing the words she's hearing. Watch her face in this scene. It's blood-curdling stuff. And then, of course, to add to the film's potency, you have James Stewart as a junior reporter named Shorty, who isn't in it a lot, I'll be honest, but really makes the most of every second he's around. Hello, hello, can't you get the desk? Still busy? Well, give me, give me Robbins. Hello, Robbins speaking. Yeah, just a minute, Shorty. Go ahead. Jay Spencer Halford was murdered shortly after six. What? Spencer Halford, eh? Yep, the chauffeur drove up to the region apartments and the doorman discovered that Halford was very fatally dead. It's so clear from watching his performance in this why he became the star he did. He's absolutely naturalistic, especially compared to the other supporting players in the film who are largely one-dimensional caricatures. You have the shouty newspaper editor, you have the doddery old fellow, you have the twitching, sweating murder suspect. And in between them all, you have James Stewart, you know, hands in his pockets, smiling slightly, tipping his hat, scratching his neck, doing most of the acting with his eyes. So to answer my own questions, his first film was called The Murder Man from 1935, and yes, he was good in it. The piece of radio I've selected for this week is one of my favourite episodes of the Lux Radio Theatre. It's called Libel, and it stars Ronald Coleman, Edna Best, and Otto Kruger. It's a really intriguing, twisty little mystery thriller, largely set in a courtroom, but don't let that put you off. It's not really about that, it's more about the central mystery involving a man who... Well, I, I wouldn't say anything. I really don't want to spoil any of the surprises. So turn the volume up and let's see who you believe. It is 1934, just 16 years after the armistice of the First World War. In the pleasant English countryside stands the home and estate of Sir Mark Laden, Member of Parliament. A wide drive bordered by trees leads to the front gate. There, hidden in the foliage, a man in rough clothes peers intently at the house. At last he enters the gate and moves slowly toward the door. He rings the bell, and as he waits, he seems to smile inwardly. Good morning. Morning. I'd like to see the master, if you don't mind. I'm very sorry, sir. But I don't believe Sir Mark was expecting anyone. Sir Mark, is it? <laughs> well, you go and tell Sir Mark that Pat Buckingham is here. He'll see me. We serve together in the army. Sir Mark and I... <laughs> go on, tell him. Mm, very well, sir. If you'll wait in the library, I'll speak to Sir Mark. Just wait. Sir 
Good morning. Well, hello. Did you wish to see me about something? No, 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 sir. Don't tell me you don't remember me. I'd hardly believe that, sir. I'm very sorry. Your face is familiar, Just but... Just think a little, sir. The German prison camp at Obheim, 1918. Obheim? Of course. Oh, you were one of the men I escaped with. That's right. There was three of us. Sir Mark Lodden, Frank Welney, and Pat Buckingham. Pat Buckingham. Yes, I remember now. Sit down, Pat. It's good to see you. Thank you. You'll have to forgive me. My memory isn't what it used to be. How have you been, Pat? Oh, pretty well. Has the world been treating you all right? Well, frankly, no. Those things are beginning to look up a bit. But the fact is, I could stand the loan of a few thousand pounds. A few thousand? That's right. I was in the neighborhood, so I thought I'd just drop by and see if you could help me out. You seem to be really, really well off. <laughs> yes, I am, but... So it won't be much of a loss to you, eh, Frank? Frank? Yes, Frank. Frank Wilney. Oh, I'm afraid I don't understand this. Why do you call me Frank Wilney? Because it used to be your name. What do you want to be called loud? Lord Algy? Do you pretend you don't remember my name was Mark? No, 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 no. None of your blarney, Frank. I don't want to be nasty after all this time. You looked enough like poor old Mark to be his twin. I always said that. I remember joking about it the night we escaped. I said if Sir Mark got killed, Frank Wellney could always go back to England in his place. As it turned out, Sir Mark was killed. And here you are, eh, Frank? Are you mad? I am Sir Mark Ludden. Are you now? And I say you're Frank Wellney. I say you came home under his name, took his estate, and married the girl who waited for him. Get out of here. Get out. No, 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 Frank. For a few thousand pounds, say four or five, I'd be glad to get out. But under the circumstances... Get out, I tell you! You're making a mistake, Frank. You see, there's a newspaper in London that might be very glad to know what really happened to Sir Mark. They'd pay me big for the story, even if you won't, for keeping quiet about it. Did you hear what I said? Get out of this house! All right, but it don't end here. Remember that, Frank Wellney. <laughs> Political imposture. The legislator recently returned to the House of Commons as Sir Mark Lodden, baronet. Is not a baronet, not even a Lodden. Mark, what is this? Read it, Phoenix. It's all there in the paper. It explains itself. But it says you're not Mark Lodden. It... Well, go on. Read it. The man who is now posing as Sir Mark secured his position in Parliament by practicing on the voters the same deliberate fraud that he... That he practiced on his wife. Oh, Mark, this is mad. It, it must be a joke. Yes, that's what I thought at first. But it seems it's not. Well, what are you going to do about it? I intend to sue the Gazette for malicious libel. Sue them? Well, what else can I do? I've put the matter in the hands of Sir Wilfred. He's going to represent me. You're going to court? You're going to let them drag your name through a filthy mess of lies that... Oh, Mark, you can't. Enid, listen. If I could ignore this story, believe me, I would. The last thing in the world I want to do is to risk my career, to risk my life, our life, together, on anything so stupid. But they won't let me ignore it, Enid. You speak of a risk. Well, what risk can there be? There are hundreds of people right here in our own village who can swear that you are Mark Larden. Yes, that's true. Well, then. Sir Wilfred has advised me to go through with the case, to clear my name. The Gazette is going to contend that... that I look like Sir Mark Larden, that I came home after the war and took his name and his place here. 
but that I am really someone else. Oh, Mark, this is horrible. How can they say such a thing? Oh, they were probably glad to get the story. They've been against me politically ever since I took office. Oh, but they must realize what it'll mean to them if you bring suit. You can ruin them. If we win, of course. If you win? Well, what doubt is there? They've printed a malicious, horrible lie. As plaintiff, we'll have to prove it a lie. I think we can. Think? Oh, Mark, I don't understand you. Enid, it's not as easy as it sounds. Not easy to prove that you are yourself. They're going to say that I am not myself. That I look enough like Mark Lodden to fool anyone. To fool even you. To fool me? Enid, look at me. Look at me, darling. It's going to be very difficult these next few weeks. I'll need all your strength and all your courage. Oh, Mark, you frighten me. You are Mark Lodden. I know that. You're my husband, the father of my child. You are. Enid, of course I am. Well, then why are you so worried? You were a boy in this village. You lived in this house. You were born in the East Room upstairs. There are things about this house, about the people who've lived here, that only Mark Lawton would know. You can tell them. They'll have to believe you then. Enid. Well, they'll have to, Mark. Darling, there's something I must tell you. You'll know sooner or later. You'll know in court. I want to tell you now. What is it? Do you remember... When I came home after the armistice, I... I had changed, hadn't I? Well, you'd been shell-shocked. Yes, but no one knew how much I had changed, only myself. Enid, I had to piece my life together again. In that prison camp at Hobheim, I knew my name only from my identification disc. I knew you only by the letters you wrote that were forwarded to me there. You say I can prove who I am by telling them things that happened here when I was a boy. I can't, Enid. I have no recollection of anything. I remember nothing that happened to me, nothing, before I was a prisoner in that camp. Enid. Enid, why do you look at me like that? Enid. You are Mark Lodden. You are the boy I knew. You must be. You must be. Enid. You may proceed with the case for the plaintiff, Sir Wilfred. Thank you, my lord. Members of the jury, I'm not going to insult you by any further explanation of the libelous charges recently appearing in the Daily Gazette. You have seen for yourself that the Daily Gazette has informed a million or so readers that my client, Sir Mark Lodden, is an infamous imposter in every possible role of life, public and domestic. The first witness for the plaintiff will be the plaintiff himself, Sir Mark Lodden. You swear by Almighty God? I swear by Almighty God. The evidence you shall give? The evidence I shall give. Shall be the truth? Shall be the truth. The whole truth and nothing but the truth. The whole truth and nothing but the truth. Uh, you are <laughs> Sir Mark Lodden, third baronet of Ingworth Hall in the county of Norfolk? That is so. You retired with the rank of major after 15 years' service in the rifle brigade? That's right. I believe you became engaged in 1914 to Enid, the only daughter of General Edgar Winterton, C.B. We were engaged just before the war. And after your engagement, I believe you went to France with your battalion in August 1914. Yes. Then you were wounded and taken prisoner at the Battle of the Marne. I was. What wounds did you sustain at that battle, Sir Mark? I was shot through both legs and badly shell-shocked. I believe the farm in which you lay wounded was set on fire by the enemy's guns... And you were nearly burnt to death before you were rescued by the enemy. Uh, very nearly. Hmm. What effect did that terrible experience have on you? Those few hours that afternoon turned my hair gray, as you see it now. 
What was it at that moment? Oh, I hadn't a gray hair. I was only 22. What happened after you were taken prisoner? I was in a German hospital for three months and then sent to an officer's prison camp at Hubheim. When were you released? Oh, I was never released. I escaped in October 1918. I reached the Belgian frontier three days before the armistice. And then? Then I made my way fairly easily to the English lines and was invalided home. What did you do then? I retired from the army and had a long rest cure. After six months or so, I was as well as I suppose I ever shall be and married my wife. I think your son, Gerald, was born the following year. Yes, that is so. You have recently entered public life and were last autumn elected Member of Parliament for the Raynham Division of Norfolk. Yes. What is the present state of your health? Subject to a bit of a limp, I can indulge in any reasonable physical effort. What about mental effort? I suppose I mustn't say too much about that. Apart from memory, I don't complain. Ah, yes. What of your memory? I have practically no recollection at all of events or persons before my imprisonment. Now, I want to turn for the moment to the libel, which is the subject of this action. Yes? The jury has heard the allegations of which you complain, Samar. Is there a word of truth in them? They are an infamous lie. Has anyone else any right to your title, estate, or position? Not a soul in the world. Has any member of your family at any time displayed any difficulty in identifying you? No, not one. Until this paragraph appeared in the Gazette. Ah. Well, I think I've only one more question to put to you, Sir Mark. How did you first learn of this libelous publication? It was sent to me by friends and constituents. But I first read it in my own copy of the paper. I happen to be a registered reader of the Gazette. I don't agree with its views, but... I've always liked all sorts of fiction. Thank you, Sir Mark. That will be all. Does counsel for the defendant wish to examine the witness? We do, my lord. So, you have always liked all sorts of fiction, have you? Yes, I said so. You've indulged that liking to a rather abnormal extent, haven't you? What do you mean? I'm suggesting that ever since November 1918, you have indulged in the unscrupulous fiction of being an English baronet. That is an infamous libel for which your clients will have to pay. Of being the lawful owner of the Loddon Estates? I am the lawful owner. Keep calm, Samat. And the most unscrupulous fiction of all, of being entitled to woo and marry your wife. My wife doesn't require the protection of the gutter press. And on my instructions, I'm not so sure of that. Now, uh, before we go any further, I want to be quite clear... Uh, you don't wish to suggest to the jury that any physical or mental disability, uh, prison or escape experiences, could possibly make you believe you were someone other than yourself? Hmm? Do you suggest such a thing? No, I don't. You've sustained no injury that could make Frank Wellney honestly believe he was Sir Mark Lawton? Of course not. Whom did you say, Mr. Foxley? Frank Wellney, my lord. Who is Frank Wellney? Uh, if your lordship would allow me to explore that in my own way. Certainly, Mr. Fox. Thank you, my lord. I'm sure the uh, witness has heard of a man called Frank Wellname. Certainly. He was a Canadian officer? I believe so. Did you ever know him? Yes, I was at the same prison camp in Germany. So I believe. And for how long? Nearly four years. Hmm. When did you last see him? Uh, let me see. It would be... Uh, let me help you. Did you shave yourself this morning? Yes. Why? Uh, didn't you see him then? Hmm? When you looked in the mirror? If you mean that I... Oh, I am suggesting that you are Frank Wellney and that he is you. That's a lie. 
There is it. We shall see. Now, uh, uh, when did you say you saw him last? When we escaped together in November 1918. We got parted. Got parted? Why did you get parted? We, we missed each other in the dark. Oh, you missed each other in the dark. Yeah. Is that really all you can tell me of how you separated? Absolutely all. Hmm. It's very easy to get lost in the dark. The other fellows had got hold of civilian clothes, but I hadn't. I was in uniform, so we had to move by night. Uh, was anyone else in the party of escape? Yes, a man called Buckingham. And that was the party. Sir Mark Lawton, Buckingham, and Wellman. Yes, myself and the other two. Mm-hmm. How did you separate? I've told you. We got... We lost each other in the dark. Yes, and which of you got lost first? Buckingham went off first to forage for food. He didn't come back. Oh, that left... Laden and Wellney together. Then what happened? Then Wellney went off to look for Buckingham. He never came back either. Uh, Both got lost the same fatal night. All killed. Ah, killed. That was it, was it? I don't know. I only mean Wellney. I know Buckingham is alive, and so do you. Uh, Well, now who do you say was killed? Wellney or Laden? I won't answer that question. You know I'm alive. (laughs) Yes. Yes, I know you're alive. Uh, Did you make any inquiries at the time about your, shall we say, mislaid companions? Of course I did. And uh, you've never heard from either of them since? Not from Wellman. Yeah. Uh, Do you think they're dead or alive? I know Buckingham is alive. And what of Wellman? I've no doubt he's dead. Oh. Don't be so unduly pessimistic. Uh, Would you please describe Frank Wellman's appearance to the jury? Nothing peculiar, very ordinary-looking fellow. Oh, come, come, come. I don't want you to be so modest. Uh, Wasn't he, in fact, remarkably like you? No. No. I'll put the question in another way. Wasn't he remarkably like Sir Mark Lawton? I never noticed it. You never noticed it? Never. Did other people notice it? Hmm? Did they? Yes. Who noticed it? Buckingham. He pretended to think that we were very much alike. He pretended? Hmm. I I wonder if you remember... Any physical peculiarities about this man, Wellney? No, I can't say I do. No? Then I shall try to help you. Thank you. I'm lucky enough to have an official description of Wellney from the Canadian Army records. Most fortunate. Ah, let's see if this helps us at all. Uh, height, five foot ten. That's about your height, isn't it? And a good many millions besides? I dare say. Uh, blue eyes. And what color are yours? You can see for yourself. Yes, and so can the jury. They're, they're blue, gentlemen. Uh, well, let's see. Uh, thick crop of gray hair. How would you describe yours? How would you describe yours if you'd been through what I went through? Mm. Now, uh, even a more important physical feature of Frank Wellney. It seems, uh, from this record, that he had lost the two first joints of the first finger of his right hand. Had he? Yes, he had. How'd you lose yours? My finger, do you mean? Yes. By a curious coincidence, you've also lost the first finger of your right hand. I don't know about coincidence. I'm not ashamed of my wounds. Well, how did you lose it? My finger was shot off by by a chance German bullet when I was escaping. Oh, when you were escaping. Uh-huh. And uh, that would produce the interesting result that uh, no one who was at the prison camp with you could remember that Sir Mark Lawton had lost a finger. Of course not. But I remember, Mr. Foxy. Yeah, uh, would you mind holding your right hand up to the jury so that they remember, too? Oh, thank you. Now, I'm uh, going to read one more thing from this official record of the unfortunate Frank Wellney. He has the initials F.W. tattooed on his right forearm in a red and blue circle. 
Had he? Well, now I come to think of it, I remember he was tattooed. I wonder if you would mind showing my lord and the jury your forearm. What is your suggestion? No, I'm glad to make it clear. I definitely suggest your right forearm has the letters FW tattooed on it. I don't want to conceal anything. I'm quite prepared to admit my arm is tattooed and has some letters on it, but not those. Well, may we see for ourselves what they are? Certainly. Thank you. Uh, would you show your arm to my lord and the jury? As far as I can see, the initials tattooed on the plaintiff's arm are E.W. in a red and blue circle. That is so, my lord, but I suggest those letters E.W. were originally F.W. for Frank Wellney. It would only require the addition of a single stroke, would it not? Yes. Perhaps the witness can explain the letters. Now, uh, what about the E? If you must have it, E is my wife's initial. Her name is E. Indeed. Uh, but if the letter was originally F, that explanation would not do. No, no, no. But as it never was, there is no difficulty. Uh, and uh, what is the W for? The W stands for her maiden name, Winter. And uh, when did you have them tattooed? In Harpine Camp, a fellow prisoner. Why? To pass the time. Time goes rather slowly in a prison camp. Yes, I don't say. Did they permit you to write letters? Yes, they did. Can you produce any letters written by Sir Mark Lawton while he was a prisoner? No, no, I can't. Fortunately, I can. I have here some specimens of Sir Mark's pre-war and prison handwriting and your post-war handwriting. Mm -hmm. Look at them. Well? Yeah. Rather different, aren't they? Shoot off your first finger and see if your handwriting is the same. Ah, did you shoot off yours? No, I did not. No, 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 no. I was a chance bullet, of course. Well, it all comes down to this now, doesn't it? Frank Wellney had lost the first finger of his right hand, and you have lost yours. Frank Wellney had the letters F.W. tattooed on his right forearm before captivity, and so Mark Lawton, the English baronet, had E.W., not almost the same letter, tattooed on the same arm during his captivity. <laughs> world of coincidence, isn't it? Yes, it seems to be. Yes, doesn't it? Yes. All of the physical features which were Wellness are also yours. Now, can you produce one physical characteristic which would identify you as Mark Lawton? No. Uh, not even a mark or a scar from your boyhood? I told the court I don't remember my boyhood. Oh, no, no, you were shell-shocked. That's a very convenient explanation. Yes. It also happens to be the truth. I didn't want to lose all the memories of my youth. Here I am, a man of 40, over 40, and for all practical purposes, my life began 15 years ago. In a very nice life it was, too, Mr. Wellney. I am Sir Mark Ludden. That is the question we are here to decide. If I am not Mark Ludden, what became of him? Shall I tell you? Mark Ludden is dead. Mark Ludden was murdered by Frank Wellney. And you are Frank Wellney. <laughs> Starring Ronald Coleman as Sir Mark Ladden, Edna Best as Lady Enid Ladden, and Otto Kruger as Foxley. It's the second day of the trial. 
An hour before court is to reopen, the man known as Sir Mark Lawton confers with his counsel. Sir Mark's face is white and drawn, his eyes bright and feverish. Restlessly, he paces the library as he speaks. It's not for myself that I mind, it's for Enid. I watched her yesterday in court. She was so bewildered, so desperately hurt. If only there was some way of sparing her. Oh, we had to bring the suit, Mark. It was the only thing to do. I realize that. You've said it 20 times. Mark. I'm sorry, Sir Wilfred, but my nerves are all on edge. Did you sleep last night? How could I sleep? I went over every word of the trial hour by hour. You should have tried to rest. We've a hard day ahead of us. Could it possibly be any harder than yesterday? What will they do? Well, put Buckingham on the stand first, I imagine. After that, I don't know. There's a witness for you. Well, I think I can take care of Buckingham. Why didn't you tell me about those tattoo marks, the letters E.W. on your arm? Why didn't you tell me? Well, I didn't think it was important. Yet you knew that Wellney had almost the same letters. The inference that F might be changed to E was something I should have been prepared for. And I didn't tell you. Am I supposed to remember every minor detail of something that happened 16 years ago? Well, that minor detail, as you call it, may prove very damaging. If I'm to represent you, Mark, you must not withhold anything that may have a bearing on the case. Withhold? Why should I withhold anything from you? I... I don't know, Mark. You're beginning to talk like Foxley. Don't you believe me either? Well, I'm only trying to look at this through the eyes of the jury. That's my job, Mark. And in the eyes of the jury, I am an imposter and a murderer. Is that what you mean? I mean that minor details can sometimes blind a jury to the truth. Now, we must be very careful, Mark. Very careful. Enid, come in, dear. I didn't want to disturb you, but we haven't much time. Enid, do you think it's wise for you to come to court? I must be there, Mark. But it's horrible for you, listening to all that. Yes, it is horrible. That's why I can't stay away. I must be near you. You're my husband. Darling, you... You say it as if... Oh, please, Mark, not now. There isn't much time to talk. No. All right, darling. Now, Mr. Buckingham, let's get down to October in 1918. What happened then? Well, our guards were reduced, so we tried to escape. Who are we? Loden, Wilney, and I. We got off all right and trekked towards the Belgian frontier, moving at night. Go on. A few days before the armistice, we reached the outskirts of a small town, Stavolo, just over the frontier by Malmedy. What happened then? Well, it was my turn to forage for food. I went off and left the other two in a wood, about a half a mile up the hill outside the town. When I got back, Wellney had done a bunk. Done a bunk? Yeah, he disappeared. Only Loden was there, and he was... Yeah, well, what had happened? Oh, I don't suppose we'll ever know the exact truth. Uh, would you tell the jury what you saw? I saw poor old Mark Loden where I'd left them both. He was lying on the ground with his head bashed in. Any signs of a struggle? Rather. Loden's clothes were more red than khaki. His arm had been smashed to a pulp. Which arm? His right arm. He was smothered in blood, face and arms. And you say there was no trace of Wellney? Not a sign. What did you do? I saw poor old Mark was dead, but I couldn't leave him there. So I lifted him as well as I could and took him along to the door of the first big house. Left him on the step and ran away. But you're sure that Sir Mark was dead? As dead as mutton. Thank you, Mr. Buckingham. Your witness, Sir Wilfred. Mr. Buckingham. Am I right in assuming that your suggestion is that Frank Wellney murdered Sir Mark Loden? Of course he did. I left them together. What time was that? Oh, about eight or nine o'clock. 
Was it dark? It was dark. I've told you so. Then how can you be so sure it was poor old Mark and not Wellner that you carried? His face was smothered in blood. No doubt about it. If I hadn't known his shape when I carried him, I'd have known his uniform. He was the only one of the party in uniform. I see. Now tell me, Mr. Buckingham, it's some years now since you were demobilized. It is. And where have you lived during those years? Ah, different places. Mm, I wonder if I can guess some of them. Did you spend nine months in Liverpool jail? Yes, I did. What for? Is that important? Very important. Well, it was a misunderstanding, that's all. Really? Then did you spend 18 months at Newcastle? Yes. In prison again. What was that for? Oh, some sort of thing. Wasn't it for blackmail? Something of the sort. Blackmail. Then did you get three years at the Old Bailey? Yes. Another misunderstanding? Yes, it was. Blackmail again. Some people might describe you as a professional blackmailer. And some people would be wrong. I will let the jury decide that. Your witness, Mr. Foxley. Uh, you have served several terms of imprisonment. Yes. For fraud and blackmail. Yes, I can't deny it. Have you ever been charged with murder? No. Or attempted murder? No. Of what do you accuse the plaintiff? Of murdering Mark Lodden and slipping into his shoes. That's all. Witness is excused. And uh, now, my lord, I should like to ask for a short recess. Recess at this time? If it please, your lordship, it is most necessary. I would not ask it. The most important witness in this case will arrive here within the hour. He must be a very important witness, Mr. Foxley. You've had time to prepare this case. Why wasn't the witness summoned in time? He was, my lord, but it took some time to prepare for the journey. This witness is coming from the village of Stavelo on the Belgian frontier. Sir Wilfrid, what is this? What are they going to do? I don't know. You'd better leave the court, Mark. Go to that little restaurant around the corner. I'll try to meet you there in ten minutes. Another cup of tea, sir? No, 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 thank you, no. Oh, nothing wrong with it, is there, sir? No, no, it's just... I, I don't want any more, please. Very well, sir. Mark. Sir Wilfred, I thought you'd never come. Sit down. Well? Well, I found out who it is. The witness? Who? It's a man named Flaudon, a doctor. A doctor? Listen, Mark. That body the Buckingham left at the door in Stavlo. Yes? Dr. Flaudon discovered it that night. Yes, go on. He took it into the hospital, and whoever it was, Mark... That man is still alive. What? Alive. No, no, he can't be. Mark. He's dead, I tell you. That man is dead. He must be dead. Mark, what are you saying? What, what do you know about this man? I, I, I know nothing. Nothing. Now pull yourself together, Mark. Yes, of course. Yes, I, I'm all right now. <laughs> say, Dr. Flaudon, that uh, you practice as a doctor of medicine in the town of Stavelo on the old Belgian frontier. Yes, hmm? monsieur. For more than 20 years, that is so. Uh, you were there in 1918? I was. Do you remember something that happened two days before the armistice? It comes back to me distinctly. A boy summoned me at midnight to a farmhouse near the town. There on the doorstep lay a man in a very old English uniform. I knelt down. I felt the pulse, the heart. The man was not quite dead. But so nearly a corpse has made no difference. What did you do? There was no hope of recovery. But I determined to do my best. I dressed his wounds at the farm and next morning had him removed to my hospital for mental cases. And then? Gradually, a miracle occurred. Sometimes it so happens. 
One life is cut short and another is spared. Sometimes a life that means nothing less than nothing uh, and... Let's get on, please. What happened as a result of your treatment? As I have told you, it was a miracle. My poor unfortunate recovered completely in a uh, physical sense. But the empowering concussion of the blows which so nearly killed him has deprived him of all intelligence. Deprived him of intelligence? Uh, what do you mean? Can he speak? I cannot say. He has a tongue, but he has not ever used it. He cannot understand a word written or spoken, English or French. He cannot think. Really? How can you say that? Because I, Emile Flordon, have studied these things and know. He's a living lug. No more. And he has been an inmate in your mental hospital ever since the night you found him? Yes. We call him number 15. Number 15? Why? What other name could we give him? We knew him not. And that has been the number of his cell ever since. I believe you can produce one or two exhibits associated with this sad case. Yes. This is the khaki jacket number 15 was wearing at the time. See how it is stained with torrents of blood. It has lost the right sleeve. It is unfortunate. I had to cut that off to examine the arm. It could not be helped. My lord, members of the jury, please notice that this jacket is the type worn by officers of the Rifle Brigade. Sir Mark Lauden was a captain in the Rifle Brigade. Now, doctor, can you produce anything else? Yes. I have brought with me another exhibit from Belgium. Number 15 himself. Number 15? Yes, my lord. That's so unfortunate body without a brain. Uh, may my assistant bring him in? He is, of course, in the wheelchair. Oh, I'm sure my lord will allow it. Let him come in. Bring in number 15. Oh. 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 Let me out! Let me out! This, my lord, is number 15. Take the lady from the court! You will notice, my lord, that the features are unrecognizable. Bring him closer, please. Thank you. You will also notice that it breathes with great difficulty. The bone structure of the head was uh, badly smashed. Some heavy instrument? Very heavy. Possibly the butt of an army rifle. I see. Now, Dr. Flaudon, uh, there's a very important question in this case. Uh, yes, monsieur? It is whether this poor man's real name is Welney or whether his real name is Sir Mark Lauden. This is indeed an interesting question, and poor number 15. He does not know, he cannot tell. It would obviously be useless to question him. Useless indeed, monsieur. Well, nevertheless, with my lord's permission, I should like to establish that this... this man is incapable of knowing who he is. You have my permission. You may question him. Number 15. You hear me? Number 15... Do you know your name? It's no use, monsieur. Please, please, please. Number 15. Look at me. Here, uh, turn his head this way. Now look at me. Try to think. Try to remember. Have you ever heard of a man called Sir Mark Lauden? Stop it. Stop it. Let him alone. Let him alone. Mark, be quiet. Don't you see what they've done? They've brought a dead man here. I can't stand it. I can't look at him. But you can't bear to see the result of your he's, handiwork. He's not alive. Look at his face. Yes, look at it. Mark, He's don't... a corpse. He's been dead for 15 years. Take him back to his grave. Let him rest. Let him... My lord, a recess, please. Sir Mark has fainted. <laughs>
After a brief intermission, Ronald Coleman, Otto Kruger, and Edna Best will return in Act Three of Libel. Why, it's Sally. Sally, what's new with you? Well, Mr. Kennedy, I spent the afternoon at my sister's. This is her day for Red Cross work, so I offered to give her a small baby a bath. Quite an offer, Sally. Was it well received? Well, not at first. At least not by the baby. Wanted his mama, but immediately. Oh, my, how he yelled. They they wave their arms, too, don't they? Oh, definitely. But I held him by the best baby-holding method. And then I spied a brand-new cake of Lux toilet soap in the soap rack. And I had an inspiration. I put that satiny smooth cake right in his hand. He clutched it. He became interested. So cool and smooth, he seemed to think. Well, from then on, Mr. Kennedy, everything was lovey-dovey between us. I guess I'm not so bad as a baby bather. You know, Sally, that makes me think. Lux toilet soap has a wonderful effect on bathers of all ages. They can be tired and cross. But give them a cake of nice white Lux toilet soap and a tub of warm water... And they seem to perk right up. Yes. Sometimes they can even be heard singing in the bathtub. Well, Sally, the creamy, luxurious lather Lux Toilet Soap gives is an inspiration to any bathroom baritone. Even in hard water, Lux Soap lathers instantly. And here's a tip for wise buying, too. Lux Toilet Soap is hard-milled. That ensures a firm, satiny smooth cake. One that can be used down to the last thin sliver. So it's an economy as well as a pleasure to use this gentle soap as a bath soap, too. It's a little luxury we can all treat ourselves to these trying days. Why not get some of this fine, inexpensive white soap tomorrow? Now, our producer, Mr. DeMille. After the play, Ronald Colvin will tell you about an activity that is very close to his heart. But now, here's the third act of Libel, starring Ronald Colvin, Edna Best, and Otto Kruger. The third day of the trial With the evidence mounting against the man called Laden Sir Wilfred, in desperation, put Lady Laden on the stand But her testimony lacked conviction And now the opposing counsel is cross-examining And your husband was married to you as Sir Mark Laden? Yes Now, only a few more questions from me, Lady Laden did Mark Lawden ever write to you from captivity? At regular intervals after the first two months. Mm-hmm. I want you to search your memory most carefully. Did any of those letters reveal to you any loss of pre-war memories? I... No. He said nothing of it. He asked me to wait for him. And you did? Yes. I waited. Mm. Uh, did he ever complain uh, in those letters of shell shock? He never complained of anything. Uh, one, one final question, Lady Lawton. Do you now believe your husband, the plaintiff in this action, is really Mark Lawton? Well, is he or is he not Sir Mark Lawton? I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> Well, Sir Wilfred, have you decided to adopt any particular course? Is this case to go to the jury? Well, our position, my lord, is very difficult, but I fear I must yield to my client's insistent desire that I should exercise the right your lordship reserved to me of recalling the plaintiff on the question of the uniform jacket. 
which was produced by Dr. Flaudon yesterday. I believe I did reserve that. Your client has the right to give his evidence on that one point. Thank you, my lord. Uh, Sir Mark, uh, will you go into the uh, witness box, please? He seems to be under great strain. He can, if he likes, give his evidence sitting down. Thank you, my lord. Sir Mark, you had an opportunity yesterday of seeing the uniform jacket produced by Dr. Flaudon. Yes. You admit it's a rifle brigade jacket. Most certainly. I have no doubt that jacket was mine. You identify the jacket as yours? Uh, yes, my lord. Do you mean your uniform was on number 15 when he was found by Dr. Flaudon? I do. I should very much like to know why. Oh, we are coming to that, my lord. Uh, will you tell the court, Sir Mark, how your jacket came to be on number 15? Well, you see, Buckingham was speaking the truth when he said he went foraging that night, leaving Welney and me together. He was away a very long time. We thought he'd been caught. So Welney went to look for him. When neither Welney nor Buckingham came back, I began to creep along the edge of the wood towards the town. Suddenly, round a corner, I bumped into a German soldier. He was as frightened as I was. Without a word, he fired off his rifle before he put it to his shoulder. The bullet hit my hand, and that's, that's when I lost my finger. Now, what happened then? I dashed in and wrenched the rifle out of the man's hands. He put up his arm to save himself, and I... I brought the butt down on his head. He dropped like a stone. It, it was horrible. Go on. Then I... I suddenly realized where I stood. I'd lost my two companions. I felt sure they'd been caught. And on top of that, I'd killed a German soldier. That meant certain death if they found me. The only chance of getting through was to get out of my uniform and get into a German one. So I changed with the man I... I thought I'd killed... Of course, I took everything out of my own pockets. If I hadn't made the change, I'd never have got through. Never. Uh, anything else you wish to add, Sir Mark? Only this. Unless someone changed the uniform again after I got away, that poor devil whom Dr. Flaudon saved is not an Englishman at all. He is that German soldier. Well, that will be all, Sir Mark. Mr. Foxley. Thank you. Uh... Tell me, uh, 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 witness, are you sure that you're fit for cross-examination? Whatever view the jury may take, there's no doubt you've had a great shock. Yes, I've had a great shock. Yet, in some ways, I feel fitter to answer your questions than I was two days ago. Well, now, what does that mean? That shock seems to have brought a few things back to me. I believe I might be able to tell you a bit more now of pre-war events than I could then. It's very interesting. Uh, when you first gave evidence, did I hear you take the oath? Of course. To tell the truth, the whole truth? Yes. And why didn't you tell the whole truth then? I thought I did. You thought you did? Why didn't we hear a word of this encounter with a German soldier? I didn't think it mattered. Didn't think it mattered? If it was true, I suppress it. Can't you see it was only yesterday that I knew that that poor devil was still alive? Whether I'm Frank Welney or not had nothing to do with that German soldier until you produced that jacket. Uh, when did you first tell this story to anyone? This morning, to Sir Wilfred. Hmm. Did you never tell your wife? No. And why not? I didn't want her to associate me with that sort of thing. What sort of thing? I have told you, the, the, the way I killed him. I have a note of what you said. I brought the butt down on his head. He dropped like a stone. Yes, yes. Well, is that all the truth? Have we got it all even now? No, not all. 
Not all. I, I'll tell you. He gave a dreadful scream and, and fell down, helpless. I had to finish him off. I had to. If I was to have a chance of getting away, getting home, seeing... Taking your time, Mark. How many more blows? How can I tell? I've, I've tried to forget it all these years. I can't think of it even now. Hmm. So we seem to be right. You are a man capable of brutal murder. Did you ever serve in the war, Mr. Foxley? Learned counsel do not expose themselves to questions when they are cross-examining. I don't want his answer. If he can't see the difference between murdering a fellow captive and killing an enemy soldier who's fired on you... No, no, let's let's not get off the subject, please. Uh, Can you produce a shred of evidence that would substantiate this story? No. No, it depends on my word. With nothing to support it. And uh, what became of the German uniform you say you escaped in? I burnt it. I wanted to forget. Oh, that seems unfortunate. It might have given the name or regimental number of your mythical German. I can give you the poor devil's name and regimental number. Uh, Never mind the number. Perhaps I can tell you the name. Wasn't it Mark Ludden? No, it was not. My lord, it doesn't appear to interest my learned friend, but I'm sure it will interest the jury. Samar. I want you to tell the court the name of that German soldier. It was Karl Geist. Karl Geist? Are you certain of that name? Yes, my lord. How? Here it is on his identity disc. Let me see it. Here, my lord. Hmm. You swear this was on the body of the German soldier whose uniform you exchanged for your own that night at Stavolo? I do. And you've kept it all these years? Yes. Has anyone beside yourself ever known of the retention? No, my lord. No, I, I've kept it locked up. It seems to me it becomes increasingly difficult for a jury to give a verdict in this case. I only want the verdict of the jury for the sake of one person, and that's my son. I've already lost the only verdict I wanted for myself. Oh, no. No, Mark, I believe you. I do. I believe you, Mark. Silence! Silence! Has the witness anything more to say? My lord. Yes? Something... Something has just come back to me. And what is it? May I just look at my jacket? Certainly. Pass the jacket to the plaintiff. Will will someone lend me a knife? A knife? What for? I want to cut something I sewed in the back of my breast pocket. Something sewed in? Two fifty-mark notes. And... I don't know that we can let you mutilate an exhibit. Oh, my lord, I've admitted it's my jacket and... And you can see where I sewed it up. Where you sewed it? You sewed something in the lining? Yes, my lord. When did you do that? When I was at Hubheim. If I might have a knife to, to cut these stitches... You may. Uh, who has um, a, a pocket knife? Tell me not. Give it to the witness. Thank you. Before I started to escape from Hubheim with Welney and Buckingham, I wasn't too sure of my companion or what might happen to things in my pockets. I don't seem to have been far wrong. So I sewed inside the lining of this breast pocket... A photograph and two 50-mark notes. If this is my jacket, they should be here now. Well, cut it. Cut the lining. Yes, yes, of course. Yes. Well? Here are the notes. And here is the photograph. May I see the photograph, Sir Mark? Oh, it was taken many years ago, but I suppose you can recognize it. It all begins to come back to me, my lord. This is the first photograph my wife gave me when we were engaged. I took it with me to France. I always had it in that pocket. I see something is written on it. To darling... Uh, 
Need that be read aloud, my lord? I think it should. Members of the jury, on this photograph, these words are written. To darling Mark, with all my love, Enid. With all my love. Mark. My lord. Yes, Mr. Foxley? My lord, uh, my client has made a great mistake. We are more than sorry for the great trouble we have caused. This man is obviously Sir Mark Lodden. Oh, my darling, I'm so ashamed. Can you ever forgive me? You didn't know. I hardly knew myself at times. Mark, you're so tired. Will you come home with me, Mark? Will you? Enid. Sir Mark? Yes, my lord? Sir Mark, before you leave, may I hope that something more than a name has been recovered by this trial? My lord? I cannot believe that the merciful providence which allowed Sir Mark and Lady Lawton to come together after all the dangers of the war will not again avail to bring them through this final tribulation. My lord, you may rest assured on that point. My wife and I are going home. And that was Libel, starring Ronald Coleman, Edna Best, and Otto Kruger from the Lux Radio Theatre. Great stuff. A couple of people have already asked me what the next special is going to be about. I have actually chosen the subject, and I'm just making sure I can get hold of all the films I'm going to need. There are a few films I need to hunt down in order to do it. I am, I think, two films away from having everything I need, so hopefully by this time next week I should be able to tell you all about it. Very exciting stuff, and very, very close to my heart. Once again, thank you so much for the messages, the emails, the follow Fridays, the retweets, the comments, the iTunes reviews. You're all wonderful. I'm very honoured. Do get in touch if you have any thoughts or ideas or if you just want to chat. Don't forget to go and register for the film club at attaboyclarence.com. Be awesome to see what you guys think of the first film. <laughs> or will it? And thank you for coming back. It's great to be with you once more. Take care. Oh, as a longtime foreign correspondent, I've worked in lots of places, but nowhere as important to the world as China. I'm Jane Perlez, former Beijing bureau chief for The New York Times. Join me on my new podcast, Face Off, U.S. versus China, where I'll take you behind the scenes in the tumultuous U.S.-China relationship. Find Face Off wherever you get your podcasts.